Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story, on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story, and as always, over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. If you've been listening to the show and enjoying the show, or even if you haven't been enjoying the show, Head on over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and leave a review for the show. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, of course, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. Speaking of five-star reviews, I would like to give a special thanks to SSY Show one who says, Keeping things in mind, five stars. Last week, it was yet another Peace Corps week since I completed service, and as always, I go back in time in a way. I love this podcast. I really like Tyler's podcast for the focus on both the shared and diverse experiences PCVs have while giving due respect to the complicated issues involved. Looking forward to future episodes. Thank you very much for the review. And yes, I try to give uh, respect to the complicated issues and I try to bring on people with diverse experiences. Uh, and I'm, I'm just, you know, trying my best. I'm definitely not the best interviewer, I'm not the best uh, podcaster out there. But time and time again, much like Peace Corps Service, uh, it's just about showing up and listening. Well, guys, I have an excellent episode for you guys today with Marta Block, who served in Ghana, a country that I was able to visit uh, while serving in Burkina Faso. So it's kind of nice to, to hear her experiences uh, and it's the, that I relate to a little bit. Before we get into the show, I also want to say that this episode is brought to you by HaloCBD, L-O-U-C-B-D.com. If you guys haven't heard of CBD, uh, it's kind of blowing up. It's all over the place. I've seen it all over social media, uh, but it's really hard to know uh, what you should be buying, if anything, online, because a 2017 study found that 70% of CBD products sold online that were tested uh, were not accurately labeled. So you definitely need to be buying from a reputable source. And I can tell you uh, personally that this is a reputable source because I am one of the owners. So if you're interested in trying out CBD and want a discount, head over to LouCBD com. Use the offer code PeaceCore at checkout and save 15% on your first order. Well, without further ado, let's get in to this week's Peace Corps story. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. My name is Marta Block, and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey, Marta, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, excited to talk with you about your service in Ghana because it is very rare that I actually uh, can talk to a volunteer where I have been to their country. Uh, definitely, you know Ghana way better than I could ever hope to know uh, from my one week vacation. But it is nice to, to just to envision it a little bit more when you're talking about uh, your service and your community and what you experience. So I'm excited to hear you talk about your time in Ghana. 
Excellent. Yeah, I'm excited to share. I feel like those of us who served in West Africa have some pretty unique experiences. And I'm happy that I got to check out your country as well. I got to travel through Burkina Faso um, while I was serving on a little mm-hmm. vacation as well. Awesome. Well, let everybody know just a little bit about you pre-Peace Corps and what was the reason that you decided to uh, go serve, uh, be a Peace Corps volunteer, uh, and just the decision-making leading up to your service? Okay, definitely. Um, so I served in Ghana from 2002 to 2004. So I've been back for a long time. Um, but before that, I did my undergraduate at Boston College. And Boston College is this great Jesuit university that really, really stresses um, public service, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yes. No, no, what's what's that called? <laughs> like a volunteerism. Um, so I was able to volunteer in Boston through courses that I took at the university and then also through another program they had called For Boston where you do um, four community service hours per week um, just in a couple different places in a local housing development, mostly working with kids. And so I really, really started loving to volunteer. And then I also, when I was in college, had the opportunity to study abroad in South Africa. Um, So I studied at Rhodes University in Grahamstown, South Africa, and that really sparked a love kind of for the whole continent of Africa, even though it's gigantic, um, and really made me think, okay, how can I pair this? I want to volunteer. I know that I want to go back to Africa. Um, And while I was in South Africa and kind of traveling throughout Southern Africa, I was able to meet a few Peace Corps volunteers. At that time, I was 20. I was still in college, so I wasn't, I didn't qualify yet, but um, pretty shortly after I graduated, I started the application process. I knew it was something I wanted to do. Okay. And did you, did you want to go to West Africa, Central Africa, or just Africa in general? You just like, I, I just need to find a way to make it back to this continent uh, that you had a connection with. Right. Well, the application process was a whole lot different in uh, 2001 when I was going through it. So I got to choose a region and the region that I chose was sub-Saharan Africa. Um, I thought that I would definitely be going somewhere in Southern Africa or East Africa. I didn't even think about West Africa because so much of it is Francophone and I did not speak French. Um, So I was pretty surprised when I got my invitation to Ghana. I like I said, I hadn't really thought about that region, but I'm really happy that I accepted it. It's kind of changed the whole rest of the course of my life. So, <laughs> And prior to going to Ghana, uh, did you know anything about it? Did you do any studying or did you say, nope, uh, I'm, just, I'm going to Africa. I'm excited. I'm just going to roll with it, whatever comes my way. Uh, You know, I had the great opportunity, one of my dear friends I grew up with, Anna, she actually grew up two houses down from me, had been to Ghana a couple times through her university. She went to Rhode Island School of Design and um, did a couple programs with uh, some artist communities in Ghana. So I was able to talk with her and get some real firsthand 
knowledge of what it might be like there. Um, I tried to learn a little bit about the language. I really love languages, uh, but there are so many languages spoken in Ghana. <laughs> I decided not to try to learn mm -hmm. any before I left. Um, but that's about the extent of it. I did not know a whole lot going into it. Okay. And I tend to think that that's uh, the perfect way to go into it. Not Just know enough, get a general sense, but don't really build up all these expectations. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Now, what exactly were you doing there as a volunteer? So I was an environment volunteer. I uh, was working with four different nursery operators who were focusing on citrus. Um, and the goal was to move them towards sustainable agriculture. Uh, most farmers in Ghana, like in a lot of the developing world, are just subsistence farmers. So if there's one year of a bad crop, then people don't eat. Right? So the idea behind sustainable agriculture is to, to have some sort of crop that would bring in cash flow. And then with that cash flow, farmers are able to, to buy food if they're not able to grow it that growing season. Um, I had never worked with citrus before. I had worked on farms before. Um, I was an environmental studies minor, and I taught environmental education, but that's about as, as close as I came to it. So a lot of my training uh, came once I got on the ground in Ghana to learn what I actually had to do to work with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, where in Ghana were you? Were you more coastal center up towards the top near Burkina Faso? Right. I was closer to the coast, um, probably about two hours from Accra. Um, you know, Ghana is not a big country. It's about the size of Oregon, but it could take a whole 24 <laughs> hours to travel from top to bottom. I'm sure you ex might have experienced that on your trip there. Mm -hmm. um, so I wasn't too far from the capital, like I said, about two hours, but I was in a small village called Brekumanso, um, near uh, my, my closest market town was called Asamankesi. Um, so it was a, a little town on a road between Asamankesi and Suhum. And it uh, was the first, I was the first volunteer they ever had in their community. So that was a great part of my experience. Um, and I remember finding out where my site was and trying to find it on the map of Ghana and it wasn't even on there. So then I had to ask my, my APCD about, okay, so where is Bray Kumanso? <laughs> um, yeah, it was a, a little place, not too, too far from the coast, but definitely in like a whole world of its own. Mm -hmm. And now this community that wasn't even on the map, uh, how would you describe it? Is this something that you would say, you know, I served in a village. Uh, it was, the, you know, no paved roads, no running water, no electricity. Paint a picture for us. Okay, definitely village, I would say. Um, it, there was a paved road just because it was along that main road, like I said, from the market town to uh, another kind of main road. Uh, there was no running water. There were a couple boreholes in the community when I got there. No electricity. Um, electricity actually has only come within the last couple of years to break them on. So it was uh, one of the later communities to get electricity in Ghana. 
Okay. Wow. And I, uh, I believe it was about between 1500 and 2000 people. That's my, my estimate. Um, it was a really unique community though, because there were a lot of different, um, tribes that were represented within it. So even within that small community, there were about five or six different chiefs that represented different ethnic groups mm. within Ghana. Yeah. Uh, and do you know about how many ethnic groups there are in, in Ghana? I don't, don't mean to, to put you on the spot for, for Ghana facts. <laughs> well, I do know that there's approximately 40 different languages that are spoken in Ghana and completely different languages, not just dialects. Um, so that I would say probably about that 40 ish. Okay. Well, yeah, I think that that's something that sometimes people don't, don't realize they think, okay, you know, here's a country, everybody is of, of that country. Uh, but they kind of forget that we drew those lines and they're mostly made up <laughs> colonial distinctions of, of right. what the country is. And there are you know, so many different groups w- within there. Uh, what, what was the language that you spoke? Was, were you re- able to rely on English or did you learn a local language? Okay. So I learned a language called Twi, T-W-I. Um, it is the pre- predominant language spoken in Ghana. Probably almost half of Ghanaians speak Twi. Um, it's the main language group of the Akan people, which includes the Ashanti and some of the, the larger groups in Ghana. Um, so it was really, really great for me to be able to speak that because I could speak it throughout most of the country. Um, and actually when I went to Burkina Faso, I was able to use it as well. You know, Ghana is this little English speaking island in an otherwise French speaking West Africa with a couple other exceptions. Um, and so I remember we were trying to get a a taxi in Ouagadougou and I didn't speak French and my friend didn't speak French and the taxi driver didn't speak English. And then he said Ashanti and we started communicating in Tree. So it was pretty amazing um, to have that opportunity and use it even outside of Ghana. Mm-hmm. And and who would have thought that in a a country that you didn't serve as a Peace Corps volunteer, uh, that that the common language would be Twi, probably a, mm-hmm. a language a language that you didn't even know existed <laughs> until serving in Ghana. Right, exactly. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> and. From your Peace Corps service, do you have any memories or experiences that stand out that you would like to share with us? Oh, goodness. Let's see. Um, there's a lot of uh, experiences, and it's it's hard. As I was going through my pictures, as I was getting ready to chat with you and thinking, gosh, I wish I had more pictures of just the day-to-day stuff. You know, I took a lot of pictures in my community with my family, with, um, you know, all the kids who I worked with, the farmers who I worked with, things like that. But there were still a lot of things I felt like were missing. Um, some of the big things that stand out to me are, um, a lot of the, the friendships that I created during that time that I still have both with fellow Peace Corps volunteers and then with people in my community who I worked with um, and lived with. And then um, probably the biggest honor during 
my Peace Corps experience was to be crowned queen mother in my community. So it's kind of like the female version of a chief. Um, so I was dubbed Inkosia uh, Hema Ethia Adubia the first. So Ethia Adubia is my my Ghanaian name. Um, and so towards the end of my service, uh, I was crowned as the queen mother of development for my community. Uh, so it was a big day of celebrations. I was gifted a beautiful piece of kente cloth. Um, and it was, there was a big parade through town and lots of dancing and speeches and celebrating that kind of went on all day. So that was a really special culmination of my service there. That was within the last month of my service, uh, that I was able to do that. Um, and then another one that I always say is that actually I met my husband when I was in Ghana. Um, he was another Peace Corps volunteer who was there. He got there about a year before I did. Um, so we, kind of met when I first got there and then didn't see each other for five months. Uh, but ever since that time, five months later, we've been together. So that was March 1st, 2003. My goodness. Um, and March 1st is also the anniversary of Peace Corps. So I think March 1st is a, a pretty important day in our house <laughs> to this day. <laughs> mm -hmm. And since we're just at the beginning of March, uh, happy anniversary on, on, I guess, two accounts. Thank you. Yeah, I know. It's a it's a pretty fun day to celebrate, right? The birthday of Peace Corps and kind of, yeah, the anniversary of our relationship. So. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you said that you were dubbed the, the mother of development and you said your, your village community name. What does your uh, community name uh, translate to? Oh, okay. Great one. Okay, so in Ghana, uh, well, especially I'll talk about kind of just the Akan language group in general, there are day names that people are given. So um, most babies aren't named until they're usually about two weeks old. So, so at first they're known just as their day name. So um, probably the most famous day name you would know is Kofi Annan, right? Kofi Annan are... Uh, former UN Secretary General. So Kofi was born on Friday. I can tell you that. Um, and so there are there are all these different day names that come on the day of the week. Um, when I was in training, I actually didn't know what day of the week I was born, but I really liked the name Afia, which is Friday, born the female version of Kofi, so born on Friday. Um, so I went by Afia. Um, in my community, the language was a little bit different. It's Akwea uh, Pimchui, so Afua is a different variation of Afia. But um, yeah, most of the volunteers who served, especially in tree-speaking areas, uh, adopted a day name. And that's, that's what they were largely known by in their communities. All right, very cool. And learning a, a little bit more about the the naming practices of the community. I always love when when volunteers have that uh, village local traditional name and just hearing how it came about and and what is the the significance of it. Right, I love it. You know, and day names are are really important in Ghana. People get 
really, really excited if you have the same day name as them, um, which really there's a one in seven chance of you having the same <laughs> day name as them. Uh, but like my, so my counterpart in tow, um, his day name is Quabana. He's born on a Tuesday. And then uh, my son, who's nine years old now, um, was also born on a Tuesday. And in tow was so incredibly proud that my son had the same day name as him. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah, was just kind of a, an important thing to him. So I thought that was pretty special. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and you you know, uh, just as well as anyone who has served in the Peace Corps, with, with all the, the good memories, uh, like you, you spoke to, to being named the, the mother of development and, and meeting your husband, uh, that there are low points in Peace Corps service and things that uh, <laughs> volunteers struggle with. Do you have a, a least favorite memory or maybe a few or a story uh, that you can share? Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> the first one that comes to mind is kind of the catastrophizing that happens when when you get sick, when you're you know, in the middle of nowhere by yourself. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, now people jump on WebMD or wherever on the internet and they Google their symptoms and they're like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Um, in, uh, in Peace Corps, we had this fantastic book called Where There Is No Doctor, which was kind of like our version of WebMD while we were there. But you would do the same thing where you would look up your symptoms and you would go, oh my God, I'm going to die. So one night, in the middle of the night, I woke up and I had this excruciating headache that felt like someone was like cutting my head in half with an axe. And um, so I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I'm looking at my book and I diagnosed myself with cerebral malaria, right? And I was like, oh my God, my brain is hemorrhaging. Uh, I'm going to die. Um and I remember, I think I, I made it to the market town the next day and called my mom. And yeah, just like I said, catastrophizing, thinking that the world was ending and um, something horrible was happening to my body. And uh, it ended up really just being a headache. <laughs> <laughs> I made it through two plus years in Ghana, you know, living in the rainforest without contracting malaria. Um, but yeah, I remember that being just a really scary experience. Um, and then the other one that I think of a lot, I kind of look back on it. I think it's a a positive and a negative. So a lot of times people ask me about safety Mm -hmm. when I lived in Ghana. Right. And you know what I tell them is that I've, I've never felt so safe in my life. (laughs) Right. So I lived in this small community. I was the first Peace Corps volunteer they'd had there. Um, I am Caucasian and I was the first white person that, especially the kids, a lot of the kids had ever seen. Um, so I was this anomaly, right? And so people always were paying attention to where I was, everybody, wherever I was, everybody knew where I was and who I was with and what I was doing, right? So definitely safe. Um, on the other hand, I'm a I can be really extroverted, but the way that I recharge is to be by myself, (laughs) right? I like to read. I like to have kind of quiet time to myself. Um, And living in Ghana, I didn't get a whole lot of that, right? So so not being able to blend in, 
uh, being called out, there's even a, a term in Ghana that um, I would hear a lot was Obruni, which means foreigner, right? Um, so anywhere you would go, people would say, oh, Bruni, oh, Bruni, oh, Bruni. Um, and again, right, you, you're, you're known, you're safe for the most part, right, and, and feel like people are looking out for you. Um, but that lack of anonym, anonymity was pretty difficult for me at times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can definitely relate to that lack of anonymity and the, the living in the fishbowl that everything you did uh, was being looked at and studied from just trying to wash your clothes. Uh, <laughs> it was the, the greatest amusement to everybody around. Oh, yeah. Oh, I heard so many times I didn't know how to wash my clothes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, you know, the fishbowl is a great, great way to describe it. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, be, serving as a, as a, volunteer with a completely different skin color than, you know, 99% of the country you're serving in is, is definitely an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. And is there anything that you miss about your time in Ghana? Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> the food, the food is a big one, right? So I, I live in California. I live in a beautiful, amazing place that I wouldn't change for the world, but there's not a big Ghanaian community where I live by any means. Um, so, you know, I have friends who live in DC or New York who are able to, or even Denver actually, um, who are able to get good West African food, um, which isn't really an option here. So we make it ourselves sometimes. Um, just the, the pace of life, I think, you know, like it, um, things run on African time, which can be a struggle, but still people really enjoy each other's company. There's not a lot of rushing to do the next thing, which is kind of the norm in U S society. Um, and real, and the focus on relationships, um, like some of the most important things that we learned when we were studying the language were greetings. And I've heard you talk about this before in Burkina as well. You know, if you're walking down the path, walking down the street, wherever, you don't just walk past people, right? You greet them. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Um, how is your family? How are your children? How is your health? How, <laughs> how is your house? How are you? How is your crops? You know, all of those things. You go through this whole litany of things. Um, and it, it, it really, it did, it made you slow down and connect more with the people who were around you, which is something that's not honored too much. Um, and then another big thing is, uh, to go with that pace of life is, um, when it would rain, right. And these big tropical rainstorms, everything just stopped and there would be this torrential downpour. You would find some place to sit right? Usually the front of someone's house or the front of a business or something that was covered. Um, and yeah, you'd have 30 minutes to sit and chat with whoever happened to be there with you when the rain started. Um, and that was just such a, a cool way to slow down and really connect. I remember those types of rainstorms very fondly, rolling in, rushing to find that covered spot, and then just hanging out with a group of people. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's another thing I miss. In, in my house, I had a, um, a metal roof, a corrugated metal roof, and just the, the sound of that tropical thunderstorm on a metal roof is magical to me. And if I have the chance to re-experience that, um, you know, in usually it's in other countries, we don't get a whole lot of rain where I live. Um, but like we were in, in, we traveled to Costa Rica this past September and we had some similar experiences and it went, Oh my gosh, that's one of my favorite sounds in the world. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And you've been able to recreate some of the food uh, that you experienced over there and that you missed, but is there anything else that you've managed to recreate in your American life? Some of those things that you talked about, you know, that sense of community and the relationships, have you been able to maintain and really bring that into um, your life down in California? I like to think so. <laughs> um, I like we so uh, Josh is my husband. Josh and I, you know, still have a lot of really good connections with people who we served with, um, and then just you know within our community here, we have a, a great core group of friends who we spend time with and who we raise our kids with and who are our, our family, you know, our our friend family that we've chosen. Um, yeah, I like to think that we foster that as much as we can. And the idea that, um, people don't have to be blood related to be family, you know, in, in Ghana, a lot of people will call you auntie or sister, you know, a lot of, um, or brother, you know, like Josh was bra Joshua, or, you know, I would be sister Afia. Um, you know, people kind of have that family relationship, you know, and they definitely, they definitely have aunties and uncles and, um, my son calls them cousins by choice, uh, <laughs> who we've, we've created around us. So, mm-hmm. and what have you been doing post post Peace Corps? You said it's been 14 years. Uh, what was life, what was life after Peace Corps and was it connected at all to your Peace Corps service? Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, 14 years is a long time to kind of (laughs) consolidate. (laughs) But the short version is um, moved to California, actually moved back to my my husband's hometown, Atascadero, we're on the central coast near San Luis Obispo. Um, And we got married a couple years after we moved back. We bought a house. We got a dog. We named her Bolga after Bolgatanga, Ghana. Um, and then I went to grad school. We had a son who's now nine. We had a daughter who's now five. And yeah, okay, that's the short version. <laughs> um, how has life been connected to Peace Corps? Okay, so. Um, like I said, I was in the field of environmental ed before I went to Peace Corps, kind of worked in the environment field, um, and then did some secondary projects related to education. When I moved back to California, so late 2004, early 2005, um, the, the ability to get a teaching job was really limited. Uh, so then I... I worked uh, in education for a little while, but I decided, hey, I need to 
kind of expand my horizon. So I went back to grad school at um, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and got my master's in counseling psychology. So I work as a licensed marriage and family therapist. um, And I actually now teach for the last four years. I've been teaching at Cal Poly. So while I was getting my master's at Cal Poly, I was able to be the Peace Corps recruiter on campus there which was an amazing experience, right? I had I had an office on campus and this job on campus where I was already going to school. I At that point, I got to interview students from Cal Poly who applied to Peace Corps, which was great, and help them through the application process. And that really helped me learn a lot about um, the other side of Peace Corps, kind of the U.S.-based side of Peace Corps and how that worked. Um, and now that I am teaching at Cal Poly, I have the opportunity to talk with my students about my service and talk with them, um, about the opportunity to serve after they graduate. Uh, and actually one of my former students is in her, uh, training right now in Nepal. So hi, Sophie. Sophie is actually the one who told me about your podcast. Um, and said that I should listen and that I should come and be interviewed. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Sophie, uh, for, for <laughs> encur- encouraging uh, Marta to, to come on the podcast. And is this the one of the, the first people that you know who went to, to Peace Corps sort of post uh, being a student and you t- talking about your experience? She's one of the first. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, yeah, my other experiences when I was, uh, the recruiter, obviously I, I knew a lot of students who were going mm-hmm. at that time, but this is yeah one of the first on the personal level who has, um, really kind of, you know, let me go through the whole interview process with her and I wrote her a recommendation and things like that. So it's pretty special. Mm-hmm. And do you, bring in a lot of your your Peace Corps experience or lessons that you learned uh, in in present day? I do. I do. I, um, you know, in in chatting with college age students now and talking about, um, you know, just the, the lessons that can be learned from living in different cultures and, you know, cultural sensitivity and, um, you know, just the, I, I teach courses in child development and psychology. So, you know, talking about the, the differences in different cultures about how kids are raised and, um, you know, what's appropriate discipline, things like that. There's a, a whole range of topics that I, I like to bring in Ghana as often as I can, just because I love talking about it. Mm-hmm. And over the past uh, 14 years, have you been able to make it back to Ghana? No, not yet. (laughs) It's on the list. We'll get there. Um, We actually have uh, some of our friends who also met in Ghana who are going back this summer with their two kids. Uh, You know, right now the the hesitation for me comes from um, taking two young kids, (laughs) really young kids, uh, and everything from malaria prophylaxis to um, putting things in their mouth that they're not supposed to Mm -hmm. really kind of, you know, is a challenge at this point. (laughs) So, um, 
you know, we've we've been fortunate to be able to travel with our kids, but haven't gotten back to Ghana yet. Um, probably will when they're a little bit older. That's our plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, start working on them and, and getting them comfortable in those different environments and step your way up uh, to, to Ghana because it is definitely wouldn't be a place that I would recommend for a a first international experience without that sort of Peace Corps safety net of, <laughs> of, of, of carrying you into it. Right, right. Yeah, definitely a, a different environment. So uh, like I mentioned, we uh, we went to Costa Rica in September, and that was my daughter's first international trip. And my son has been to he's been to Ireland. My brother lives in Ireland and um, and to El Salvador. So we're working on it. We're going to see what we can do now that they're both getting a little bit older um, to continue that love of travel. Mm-hmm. And uh, is there anything else uh, that you want the listeners of the My Peace Corps Story podcast to know? Uh, I, I know you've been listening to some of the episodes. Is there anything that you want to reiterate that maybe you've heard uh, from one of the previous episodes or maybe something that you feel that really hasn't been spoken to yet? Oh, man. Um, you know what? I, I think a big thing when it comes to Peace Corps is that there's dozens and dozens of countries that people serve in um, on different continents with different climates and different cultures and things like that. But there's something really universal about the Peace Corps experience, um, where, you know, I've met, you know, there's, uh, another person who teaches at Cal Poly who served in Moldova, right? You know, some totally different from West Africa. Um, but still when we talk about our Peace Corps service, there's, there's so much common, vocabulary that we have and even a lot of common experiences, even though we served in completely different regions and countries. Um, so just understanding it's kind of, kind of like being a member of a, of a club, right? When, when you meet other RPCVs, you'll have an instant connection and just, you know, really be able to, um, to share your experiences from different places in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even even if you served in countries that on on the outset look so different from one another, say you talking to someone who served in an Eastern European country, you know, that, that had to experience those horribly cold winters, uh, there are going to be commonalities <laughs> of, of service and just being uh, out of your comfort zone and in that fishbowl and the things in life that uh, we don't necessarily see uh in the united states day to day exactly yep and i think a lot of people say oh it's it's so big of you to take two years of your life to go there and serve and i think most volunteers would say that you know they get back more than they give for the most part right um i think one of the biggest things and and this is one of those universals is a lot of people who have served as volunteers don't sweat the small stuff. It's kind of the, the easy way to say it. Um, you, know, you get a real perception, a real sense of what is important in life. Um, and you're not worried about keeping up with the Joneses or, you know, a lot of the kind of uh, 
commercialism that that comes in the U.S. <laughs> you put your focus on other things, like hopefully those relationships and experiences and things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely agree with that, and that's something that I experienced as well. Well, Marta, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, hearing a little bit about your service in Ghana, reminiscing a little bit about my service as I've been listening to you talk about highlights uh, of, of your time there. In closing the episode, do you have a favorite quote or local saying? I know you said that you, you loved languages. Uh, I, I didn't think of myself as a language person uh, pre-Peace Corps, and I'm definitely still not a, a language buff, but I have definitely come to love uh, just local sayings, those things that even if you maybe learned a language in uh, an academic sit- situation, you wouldn't get uh, the context of some of these more local colloquial uh, things that people say day to day. So do you have anything uh, to share with us in that vein? Sure. Yeah, there's a couple things. I mean, like I said, I, I love languages, so it's hard to pick just one. <laughs> um, probably the biggest one is Aquaba. Aquaba means welcome. Um, and it's, it's, it just really embodies kind of the Ghanaian philosophy, right? Everybody is always welcome. There's always enough food for everyone. Um, you know, if you show up at someone's house and it's time to eat, you are invited, Watome means you are invited. Um, And that's what people would say to you if you're walking by and they're eating and you, you know, kind of make eye contact and say hi. They say Watome, like you're you're always invited. You're always welcome. Um, And I really, really love that about Ghanaian culture. Um, Let's see. And then the the one that kind of sticks with me that's really funny is that – People would say meba, um, in the, so the translation is I am coming, right? So let's say you're you're sitting there with your friend, and they have to leave to go get something. Um, maybe they're going to be gone for five minutes. Maybe they're going to be gone for two hours, and they'll say, "Please, I am coming," right? <laughs> meba, meba, like I'm coming, or meba sesia means I'm coming right now. Um, but they're saying it as they're walking away from you. <laughs> um, so another little thing that ties into Ghanaian time, right? Um, right now doesn't really mean right now. Um, and there was Cecia, which is now, or Cecia, Cecia, like now, now. Um, so <laughs> there were all these, all these different ways to categorize time that were still very loose um, and interesting. So yeah, those are some big ones. And then there's just there's a couple little phrases that we still use. Um, my husband was in northern Ghana and and spoke a very different language than I did. But one of the things that he'll say is "Abba," and "Abba" is just like, "Oh man," it's kind of like a uh, you know if you get frustrated, like you know, something isn't working. "Abba," why isn't that working? Um, or "disting." Disting is like a kind of a Ghanaian English, like a. a term that people would use, you know, if you're like a thingamajig, right? It's one of those made up words that if you're trying to talk about something and you can't pull the word out of your brain when you need it and you just say disting, like pass me that disting, right? Or, so those are things that we still use almost every day <laughs> that um, are just kind of part of our, part of our language now. Um, so 
And the the last one is there when we were learning tree at the beginning, um, we realized that there were a lot of words that were that were doubles, so two syllables that sounded the same. Um, so we made up this sentence that is me shui shui double double tum tum, which means <laughs> I am looking for a black duck. <laughs> Right. So yeah, shui shui means I'm looking for dabo dabo is a duck and tum tum is black. Um, so it was <laughs> just different ways of, you know, as you're starting to learn the language, you put things together to try and remember them. And that was one of the things that myself and my friends, Kathy and Elena, who I was learning with, um, did to, to try and remember some of our new vocabulary. <laughs> well, that is uh, an Excellent list, uh, one that I enjoyed. Uh, so thank you for sharing those with us, and thank you for sharing a, a little bit of your Peace Corps story. It's very hard to to bring together a whole two years of experiences, highs, lows, ups, downs. I, I bet as soon as you get off this call or later this evening, you're going to be thinking like, oh man, I should have talked about this. Uh, <laughs> but that happens to everybody. But thank you for, for sharing what you did, and it has been a pleasure. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. There's always more, always more to talk about for sure. But thank you for letting me share. And there you have it. Another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, do not forget to subscribe so you get a new episode every single week when I release them. And if you listen to podcasts over on Spotify, guess what? This podcast is now on Spotify. Uh, So if that is your preferred uh, platform and you've just been hating the fact that you have to uh, go outside to listen to this excellent show, well, now you can stay over in Spotify and switch between uh, listening to your favorite tunes and your favorite Peace Corps Story podcast. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed taking this time to share Marta's story with you, uh, to share a little bit more about Peace Corps. And until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours?